My name is Dwayne Default, and welcome to Selling SaaS, a podcast that's built to get you the best advice from the top experts for go-to-market strategies, sales, and product-led growth. Now let's get into today's episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Selling SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Dwayne Default. Uh, I appreciate you being here. And if you haven't been on the show before, if you haven't been here, we've got a couple formats that we like to flow on here. First format is we do a traditional interview where I bring on an industry expert from the SaaS world, whether it be for marketing, sales, rev ops, or maybe a CEO co-founder to kind of walk us through their journey. And I get to ask them questions and learn about their struggles and wins, and you get to take notes along the way. And the other one is kind of like today, where we do a solo episode where I bring some tactical information, some advice, something that I get to pull from working in the SaaS world or direct experience that I've had building other SaaS companies. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to jump into a topic that I really enjoy that's not talked about enough Or if it is, it's not really understood, which is all about product-led growth and the role of sales reps. So the big question I always get is, why do you have a sales team in place if you run product-led growth? Now, this is an interesting one because I know a lot of you are early stage B2B SaaS founders and you're trying to scale, you're trying to find product market fit, and you're you're trying to increase revenue and outrun your burn rate so that way you don't have to go get extra rounds of funding. Or maybe that's your goal. Maybe your goal is to go get rounds of funding so you can take an exit at around Series C and whatever. But the main question is, why do we need a sales team in place if you run product-led growth? So the acronym that we're looking at is PLG, right? So it's pro- it, that's what it means. It's product-led growth. I've said it a bunch of times already. But what does product-led growth actually mean? To break it down, product-led growth is basically means that it's the product is designed in such a way that the user can successfully do three things on their own. One, they can start using the tool. It's not gated. They don't need a salesperson to create the account for them. They don't have to be guided through the process. They can get in there on their own and do whatever they need. And then they, they're able to find value. So the second thing is they're able to get into the app and find value. They see something that they were looking for and they're able to see the value in it. And the number three, the most important one that a lot of apps actually fail to help them do is they solve a real problem. So again, the main three things that product-led growth is meant to do is to help the user start using the tool, find value in the tool, and then solve a specific problem for the prospect. And that's it. If you're able to do those three things inside of a PLG strategy, the likelihood of them paying you money is very high. So if that's the case, why would you want to include sales, right? Sales, it's a human element. There's error. You got to train them, pay them a lot more. And it's, it's hard to manage what's being said on the phones, how they interact with it. There's, there's a lot of upkeep when it comes to having a sales team. And let's be honest, we're a crazy bunch of people. So why bring them? Because we just agreed that PLG is in place for the product to basically do all the things that reps are supposed to do, right? Reps are supposed to help people understand how to use the tool. They're supposed to help the prospect understand the value and help them solve a problem and get them to take action on it. Those are all the things PLG is supposed to do. But... Listen, this works really well when the prospect knows what they want when they get into the trial. 
And this is where 90% of product-led growth companies fail. They don't have their messaging clearly defined. The product isn't properly positioned. They don't have a clear activation path that's easy to follow and to achieve. You don't have to jump through a whole bunch of hoops and random go behind all these different settings to make something happen. Like it's actually hard to like add your profile picture. It's hard to add a user. It's hard to do things or they just don't allow you to do it in an easy way. And then they just legit leave the product to quote unquote, sell itself without any supporting messaging guides or material. Like it's, it's baffling. You, you, a lot of companies that launch the PLG strategy literally leave the prospect to their own devices. And if they don't find their way to paying you money, you never talk to them. Good Lord. Is that the most wrong way to look at scaling an early stage startup company in any SaaS metric? I don't care if you're approaching enterprise companies, your mid market. If you don't do that in SMB, I doubt you're going to be around for a long time, or you're just chasing multiple rounds of funding and you're, you're very convincing in the VC board. <laughs> but look, in any PLG situation, you need to have supporting evidence and documentation that teach people how to use your tool. If you don't have that, they're not just going to magically know exactly which button to press to go do the thing that helps them get to the next stage in using your app, which is the activation step. So if you don't have people in place, your product actually needs to get them to do something. Just because it has a really good user interface and the buttons are easy to click and it's a quote-unquote simple app doesn't mean they know what to do next. This is where you have tools like the, the original WalkMe or you've got things like Stonely or Userflow. These are in place to help nudge people to the very next step that they have. That's why when you get into some tools and you have that progress bar along the top that gives you the specific steps you need to do to start using the tool, those are in place because the company has done their research and interviewed the customers over time to realize like, hey, when prospects do these one, two, three, or four things, the likelihood of them converting to a paid customer is astronomically high, which is why those things exist in the first place. So if you're a founder listening to this you should, and you don't have those things in place, first piece of advice. Go put those things in place and start measuring. So again, PLG is great and it's a great way to establish product market fit if you have a large enough total adjustable market. Even if you have a massive TAM, it doesn't mean you, you don't get to do the feedback from friends and family and reaching out to people in your network and getting referrals into it and getting that early feedback. You can't not do that. That is a must, must out of anything. If you're new to them, if you're new to launching or if you're about to launch or if you've launched in the last six months and you're not doing that, uh, you're doing yourself and your future customers a massive disservice because you're delaying the evolution, the iteration on your product. So first and foremost, do that. And then secondly, you have to you have to enable a version of product-led growth. And product-led growth isn't for the overly intelligent engineers. In fact, most of the time, engineers aren't the ones that do it. It's the product team. It's the product marketers. It's the UI people. And it's a data analysis people. Sometimes it's the sales engineers or the implementation team because they're directly involved in what the customer struggles with when it comes to using the tool. So again, digress a little bit here. If you're like everyone else that comes out with a product, you do have a finite total adjustable market. And especially if you're early stage and you don't have all, you don't have the perfect messaging, you don't have the perfect positioning, like you don't have all those things figured out. What do you do? Like, how do you get to buyers early enough in their buying journey to get them to stay in the product long enough for them to see the value, to solve a problem and to give you money? That's where salespeople come in. Like, that's how other companies got where they're at in their product-led growth strategy because they took the time early on to talk to everybody. They didn't get super picky and choosy early on because, oh, they submitted a form that 
that segment isn't what we're serving, and so we're not going to call them. We're not even going to roll them into a nurture campaign because they're not going to they're not going to get the best use out of our app. Bullshit. <laughs> if they if they're in a trial and you're in their first year of being public, or if if you're inside of the first year of your app being live and you have a trial and someone submits that form, you better call them. You better have something that gets sent out to them to let them know they're on the right path to engage with them, to nudge them. It's an in-trial nurture campaign, something. You have to engage with them to learn where they came from, what are they using before they got to you, like what are they trying to do, where are they getting stuck, like all that stuff. Because guess what? Here's a fun fact that I learned the hard way. If you don't have user activation in the first three to four days of your trial, the likelihood of them coming back is like 20%. Like it's dramatic. It's a huge drop off across all segments, across all apps that if you don't have user activation or usage at all in the first three to four days, it's a 70 to 80% drop off after that. So you have to get to them. It's an old school terminology in sales called speed to lead. The faster you can get to a prospect while they're interested. So strike all the irons, hot cliche saying the better you have to have that same mentality when it comes to product led growth. So again, Modern PLG companies, they have their messaging, they have their positioning, they have everything dialed in so they can get to the right prospects at the right time in the right way. So think of think of somebody like monday.com. They're able to position the product inside of the trial as if it was built for you. When you get into it, you answer a couple of questions before you actually get into the tool itself. And then when you do, it's like it was built for you. It's like it's semi set up. There's test data in there. It's easy to use. They have these little widgets and walk me indicators that push you in a certain direction to go do certain things. It's really easy to use. And it's and yeah, it asks you a bunch of questions after the initial form. But you have to have that in place to understand how to cater your product to that prospect. Too many marketers are telling product teams and, and sales leaders to remove questions from forms just to get more submissions. That's going to drown you in poor quality leads in the form of MQLs that are not going to lead to further activation and learning from people that get into your draw. And you do not want that. I'm okay And I encourage two-step forms, even a type form when it comes into that. But you have to learn the firmographic, demographic information about your prospect when they get into your tool in order to make the optimizations that you're going to need to do in order to scale customer acquisition, especially with sales. So where does sales come in this whole process? So in order to learn and to get the feedback early on, this is where sales comes in. They are able to fill the gaps that your product doesn't solve for in an obvious fashion early on and help the prospect make the leap into the value and the problem they're supposed to be solving and all of that stuff. And so there's a lot, there's a couple of simple ways you can get some quick conversions and some quick wins when you, when it comes to assigning sales reps to inbound trials. And I've seen inner, I've, I've seen some very well known companies that have a very old school sales led strategy while running a PLG strategy right next to it. And the sales team is not allowed to touch the PLG leads. It's, it's insane. Like, I don't understand why. Well, I mean, I do understand, but it doesn't make sense to me because the conversion for PLG leads when you have a salesperson assigned to them is like three to four times overnight. Like it's, it's baffling to see why that's not a strategy that's more adopted. But I'm telling you right now, most courses, product marketers and books written about product-led growth 
will tell you the exact opposite. They're, they're going to tell you the opposite of what I'm going to say. And my advice and my, and it's coming from direct experience, implementing and working these strategies in the world world at a B2B sales company, at a B2B SaaS company. Basically what it's, what they tell you is if they do, if the prospect is in the trial or in a freemium version of the product and they don't hit a certain level, certain stage in the activation, leave them alone. Don't call them. They're not worth your time. They're not a good fit. They're never going to get to that point. Blah, blah, blah. Like that is such opposite information and, and opposite feedback and opposite advice that you need to be listening to when it comes to the first couple of years of your SaaS product being out in the market. Like I, I promise you, if you just picked up the phone and called those prospects, you're going to learn a whole hell of a lot other than just staring at a spreadsheet of the, of the data points you think you should be following. So that's a different call for a different day is, is what data you need to be collecting and, and watching inside of a trial. But I'm telling you right now, I, I don't care if your ACV is $50 a month or if it's $100,000 a month. You need to be talking to your prospects. You have to learn where they're getting blocked, why are they coming to your app, how are they using it, and learn from them. So again, that's where sales comes in. So sales is there to help the prospect see the need for the product by asking them questions that helps them think. Right. So earlier on, we we're talking about how the best of the best when it comes to PLG, think of Slack and things like that, where they have their messaging and their positioning so dialed in that they can afford not to assign a sales rep to your account if you're under 50 or 100 employees. I don't know what their, their thresholds are, but that's why. That's why if you go sign up for like a ClickUp app, a ClickUp trial, for example, and you're of the lower bracket, like let's just say you're under 25 employees, you don't get an email from a human. You don't get a phone call from a human. But once you get to maybe like 75 or 100 employees, all of a sudden, you're getting a phone call from that company. There's a threshold because there's a, there's a gap that PLG will never really be able to make because there's a human element. The larger the company, the more specific the need is going to be and the, the more specific the problem is. And so you can assume a lot of the smaller type of problems that a lot of small companies have, which is where you learn. But you don't get to that point without having those conversations with those prospects. Like if you're if you're within your first year and you're already trying to fully automate some of your trials coming in, like you're losing out on a large part of the market. Unless you've got a ton of funding and your primary focus is user activation and UI and product development, then you might be headed in the right direction, which unfortunately nine times out of 10, that's not the case. It's all about go to market and slam customers in the door and hopefully they don't churn. But anyways, in the early stages of running a strategy like this, it may here's what it might look like. You may have some partially targeted messaging. You'll have a landing page. You may have a form that gets them into a trial. And then maybe some automated prompts that get the user to set the account up or take connection. So they'll get into the trial. It's a two-week trial. And they'll maybe be like a, a video that pops up or maybe like a or one of those status bars will pop up at the top. And those will nudge you in the right direction. So when you have that stuff, but even if you don't have those things in place, when someone comes in and starts a trial of your product, you need to have a sales rep call. I'm not talking about like a fully developed account executive either. Those need to be reserved and focused on higher value deals that come in. Have your SDRs, have your entry level SDRs, just call them. They don't even have to have a full on phone call, but look, you have to learn what they need, what issues they have. And then you tell, you tell them what to do inside of the product based on their needs. Like, it's just like any other discovery call, but instead the sales rep is more like a shepherd, more like a guide that helps them along their trial by pushing them in the right direction they need to go based on why they came to you. 
That's where a lot of, again, that's why where a lot of PLG companies tend to fail is they don't do that. They wait until the prospect pays them and then they do that, which you would dramatically increase your conversions. Like I've seen it so many times where all of a sudden they assign these trial leads to the SDR team and all the SDR team does is call them. They call them and ask a couple of questions. They don't even offer a demo and they just point them in the right direction and boom, their conversions go up. It's, it's like, this weird switch that gets flipped on every single time when it when it comes to just calling on your PLG leads. It's anyways, it's a very simple thing you can do. So to give you an example, I one of the early one of the first times I did this was back in 2018, 2019 with a company called Clockshark. And we basically doubled their conversion in their lower segments, so in the SMB segment, in a matter of months by doing this. We, we, we reallocated the lead flow. We sent the lower value leads directly to the SDRs and they weren't supposed to give them demos. There was four SDRs on the team at the time when we did this and they're, they were only responsible for just calling, answering a couple of questions and then sending a follow-up email and then doing two more follow-up calls inside of the two weeks. So there was three phone calls that went out to the prospect during their 14 day trial. And it wasn't even, they weren't even trying to, if they connected with them, great, but the goal was just nudge them in the right direction. So the salesperson was acting as their guide, as their instruction, even if they didn't pick up the phone. So their voicemails was in line with what the prospect needed to do inside of the trial. The emails were in line with what they needed to do, the immediate next step they needed to take. And half the time, they converted on their own without ever talking to the SDR. It's, it's crazy, but the human element... When you add that into the mix, it helps add a layer of trust to it, but then also helps you and the product learn what needs to be optimized inside of the product to encourage more earlier activation. And so that's all you do is you spend three to four months in each cycle. You have the SDRs call on trials as they come in or call on freemiums. And as they connect with them and as they have the prospects take action inside of the app, you learn what are the top three and four things that they're having the prospects do that leads to conversions and what's hindering that process when they do it on their own. Once you get through that step, you spend a couple of months, you do a split test, 50% goes to self-led, and the other 50% goes to the sales reps, and you measure. If there's no hiccup in conversion on the self-led, guess what you do? You automate all of them, and then you do it again. You do it with the next segment, or you increase the lead capacity by increasing marketing because you just reallocated your spend, right? And then you just continually do that. Every six to nine months, you're constantly evolving what goes in the product, what's the activation step, how are sales approaching that, because this is how you scale revenue acquisition in a PLG company without adding headcount. Like this is why this is why you see so many SaaS companies constantly chasing the next round of funding because they can't figure out their margins because they're adding headcount to the sales team without optimizing the user experience. And so they're constantly chasing their tails, trying to get them back into the app. They're constantly trying to get people to use it. And that's what you use sales teams for. Inside of a product-led growth strategy, you want people, you want your sales team to act as the guide in the trial. So this is where full cycle sales comes in, right? And then once you do that, once you get it to a point to where your low value leads, your SMB segment, whatever your definition is, is converting well on their own. Now, well is relevant to your business. It could be 10%, could be 30%. I have, I personally have a running average of a trial to paid at 30%. So that's usually my marker, what I try to get companies to. So once you get that up and running, and it doesn't take much, you then change the CTAs on your website, or you add CTAs to your website to attract higher value buyers earlier on, because a trial is part of the commit stage of the buying journey, right? So in a product-led growth buying journey, you have your awareness, you have your research, your commit, and your decision. Traditional buyer's journeys, they only have three phases, which awareness, research, and decision. With a trial in the mix, there's a commitment. So that's a soft commitment, and then the decision is to buy. 
So product-led growth, when you, when you enter in a trial, that's where they have the commit stage. And then you still have kind of the sales process or the convincing process to where they make a decision. That's why commit is there. So what you do is when you on the website and you add another asset that collects the same information the trial form does, name, email, phone number, and some segmented information, firmographic information like number of employees, annual revenue, amount of invoices, or whatever it is that helps decide your ICP, when a larger value lead submits that form, it's a lead magnet that gets sent to the SDR team. You call qualify with the, with the, with the primary uh, outcome of getting them into a trial or getting them over to an account executive for a demo. The smaller value leads, they go into a nurture campaign that then pushes them into the trial. And then it could be used as fallback leads and calls for SDRs when they run out of new trials to call, right? So it's, it's an evolution that you have to do over time when it comes to scaling ac customer acquisition and product-led growth. You can't just leave them to their own devices and you can't just only use sales in that. So to help really bring some emphasis to this, the company that I did, the first time I did this with, the first time it, it really worked and took off, like I mentioned, it was a company called Clockshark. We actually got them to scale to $11.5 million in just under three years. And it was a bootstrap company that served the SMB. Their ACV and their average annual contract value was $1,200. Yeah, crazy. There was about 10 sales reps total. You know, it was a mixture of channels and whatnot. But I'm telling you, there's 10 sales reps. There's a sales manager and whatnot. The hierarchy doesn't really matter. But it was $11.5 million in ARR, and they sold in 2020, October of 2021 for $320 million. A bootstrap company. They were in business for six years before that happened. And once we started implementing this strategy of <laughs> you call, nudge them in the right direction, optimize product UI to help do that more. You move the sales reps onto larger value leads. You start attracting higher value deals through different channels. And then you just constantly evolve that process to where eventually you still have a 20 to 30% trial to paid conversion on your SMB leads that come in on their own and never talk to a sales rep. So think about that. If you're not actively looking to create efficiencies around your sales and product-led growth strategies, if you're not working to combine them and have sales help your product team iterate on the activation steps, you're, you're doing your customers, your future customers, a massive disservice. So to digress a little bit, moral of the story, just because you have a product-led growth strategy doesn't mean you shouldn't have sales reps call on those leads. The way they call and the outcome they're looking for is different based on the lead segment that they're calling on. But listen, if you're not doing that, especially in the first couple of years of the business, you're losing out on a ton of growth. And then number two, the second takeaway is sales is there to help fill the gaps in both your product and your prospect. If you're not having sales interact with some of your product-led growth leads or your trial leads or premium leads, you're, you're leaving a lot of money on the table. And frankly, you're making the sales team jobs a lot harder than they should be. So I appreciate you being here. If you want more info, go to sellingsassplaybook.com to get your free founders course. And of course, I appreciate you even more if you leave a review on the show. And I'll see you on the next one. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Selling SaaS Podcast. And if you got value from today, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. 